Hello and welcome to Unstoppable. I'm your host, Kerwin Ray, and today, wow, this is a biggie. We talk with Anthony Nude. He has got an incredibly big story. By age 15, Anthony was actually addicted to heroin, and by 24, he was using $1,000 worth of heroin and ice a day. And this is a jaw-dropping story of how one young man ter- beat his addiction, turned his life around, and ended up starting a company that he grew to become incredibly successful to help out people just like him going through what he was. If you've ever struggled to understand addiction and wanting to learn new ways to approach it, if you want to hear a real comeback story, this is the one for you. Listen up. Ladies and gentlemen, it's my great pleasure to welcome on to Unstoppable. We have Anthony Nude. Do I get that right, Nude? Now. Now. Like loud with an N. Well, I don't care that it's now. From now on, I'm calling you Nude. I get it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure the chicks probably love that. Now, mate, your story is actually quite incredible. Uh, you were a heroin addict at the age of 15. Correct. Uh, after multiple overdoses and near-death experience, you were 24 years old and morbidly obese, and you were on the highest legal dose of methadone available. Mm-hmm. At the same time, using $1,000 of heroin and ice per day, and mm-hmm. that was when you decided to get clean. Correct. You, got, you decided to get clean while you're peaking at the all-time high, but you <laughs> then went on, you got a job as a cleaner in a family gym, and you lost over 35 kilos of fat in the first year. You went on to win the heavyweight Mr. Queensland Natural Bodybuilding in 2015, mm-hmm. and you're now the owner and founder of Awaken Lifestyles, um, where you guys have a team of qualified professionals delivering all sorts of tailored wellness programs to corporates and individuals all over the country. Mate, and you you just celebrated 10 years, 100% clean and sober in January 2019. Yes. Awesome, awesome feat. Mate, what an incredible journey. Yeah, thank you. So it, I guess you know, the story always begs us, where did your story begin? Because you know, most people would assume, oh, it began when you were 15 and you became mm. addicted to heroin. Mm. I'm curious what happened before that. Like what sure. actually led you to that place where you were 15 years old and, and using um, hard drugs? Yeah, man. So, uh, basically started from a really young age. I grew up in a, what I perceived to be a really healthy family environment. Like there was no, you know, hectic stuff going on at home, uh, middle-class family. But I remember growing up having this moment, I would have been maybe eight or nine years old. And I remember speaking to an older cousin at the time and she, um, uh, she said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I go, I want to be an ambulance driver, you know, like typical masculine. She's like, why would you want to be an ambulance driver? And I'm like, oh, if I, I get to drive really fast, I get to see lots of gory stuff and I get to, you know, help people out. She goes, oh, you don't want to be an ambulance driver. Ambulance drivers aren't successful. You know, you should be a doctor. Don't be an ambulance driver because they're not successful. And at that time, I just remember like a, a, something happening inside of me, me going, what do you mean successful? What makes me need to be successful? Yeah, right. And had this, How old were you when that happened? Oh, I'd be guessing, but I'd say somewhere around eight or nine. Okay. Um, and, and then I remember... From that point and just starting to get messages and pick up stuff kind of saying, I had this belief that as I was, I wasn't good enough. I was somehow flawed and effective as a human being. Yeah, right. Um, and that I needed to be more, do more, have more, achieve more in order to one day finally reach this enough, right? Um, and then at about, I, I was always mischievous, I guess. Yeah. Um, started to get into trouble at school and stuff like that. I remember being punished at school or you know suspended sent home all that kind of thing and one day making the decision well it was basically if you guys aren't going to love me as i am then fuck you i'll show you how bad i can be um and from there just started kind of playing up hanging around older people in my neighborhood what age group was this roughly so this is probably about 12 13 okay 
I started, I was Is actively- this playing up at school or just playing up in general? Playing up in general. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, actively looking to do naughty stuff. What were you rebelling against? Because you say your life was, per, uh, you know, you had the, the happy the happy home life, everything was great. There was a little bit of friction at school. Uh, it, it was, I perceived everything to be great at home. Right. Every, like I was always looked after, I was always cared for. Okay. But In, that wasn't necessarily the case. Well, it, it was... It Here's was thing. unusual. And, it, it, and this is what I, I want to clarify, because sometimes when we talk about our youth, sometimes we get a little bit sensitive because we don't want to make out our parents did a bad job. Sure. And here's one of the things that I've learned. My parents did the very, very, very best job that they possibly Absolutely. could. Absolutely. My mum was ama- as amazing mum. She was a loving mum. My dad was you know, as present as he could be for what he was doing at the time, but I still ended up as a drug addict. Correct. And Same. So, Same. To me- so my old man was a recovering alcoholic. Okay. He had many years sober. Yep. Uh, I'd never saw him drink. Yeah, um, right. Uh, mum, at the time I didn't know it, but there wasn't a whole lot of affection or physical affection or words of affirmation or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, right. Um, it turned out, I found out in my 30s that I actually had a, a adopted brother who was adopted out at a very young age when mum was quite young. Wow. And so when I learnt that, it kind of made sense. Yeah, okay. Like I just went, oh, it makes sense now. Now I understand why, you know, things were like I didn't feel like I always got the affection or love that I guess I needed. Yeah, right. Having said that, I know mum loved me dearly, absolutely did her best, still she, does her best. They do and the is, best that they can. Absolutely. And, yeah. it, you know, I wouldn't want an, any other mother. She's, you know, the best in the world. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I guess a bit of that, a bit of uh, pressure from older family members being compared to other people in the family, kind of saying, why don't you study harder like her? Why don't you do more stuff like so-and-so? Uh, you know, cousins and stuff are quite successful. A lot of medical in my family on one side. The other side were all alcoholics. Right. You know, or... So you had quite the contrast yeah. in family. One side of the family were uh, alcoholic ad- addicts and then the other side of the family, they were all degreed academics. Correct. And you're sitting in the middle going, I don't know which way to go. <laughs> exactly. And so what was the moment where you chose to go a different direction? Do you remember that day? I don't remember... The exact day, but I remember one time my school principal like rousing at me, yelling at me and saying, Anthony, now you're a liar. You cannot be trusted. You're not going to be going anywhere um, like in life kind of thing. You're one of the people giving this school a bad name. And and yeah, again, making that decision, then kind of going like, okay, well, fuck you guys. Like, I'm not playing your game anymore. Did you dabble in any drugs or alcohol before you hit heroin? Yeah, definitely. And what were you doing? Uh, smoking pot, using speed. What age was this? Started smoking pot daily from about 13. Okay. Um, Just easy access in the in, in from where you lived? Easy access. It felt awesome. Like, I, I just remember being... Do you remember the first time you got stoned? Absolutely. Like, yep. I remember the first time I got stoned. I remember clearly sitting in school. Like, it was grade 8 German. I was 13 years old. And I remember turning to the girl next to me in my class and saying to her, you really got to try this. This is amazing. Like, I found the answer kind of thing. Like, (laughs) why the hell? To to me, it just seemed like, why isn't everybody doing this? Mm. You know, it feels so good and I feel confident I can be myself. Like, why on earth aren't you all doing it? I remember she had this like ghastly look on her face she was like what the hell is wrong with you and i remember thinking what the hell is wrong with you why aren't you doing it yeah right and then i just yeah made a decision to use as much as i could as often as i could and went from there are you aware of what was going on in your brain at that time like on reflection now like were you aware of what was actually happening there's a lot of denial 
you know, there's a lot of denial. Um, but in, from a chemistry perspective, because I, I, I have this conversation a lot with addicts when they used mm. a drug for the first time, mm-hmm. and it's very similar stories to like sure. this. Oh, my God. It was amazing. Yeah. For the first time in my life, I was thinking, why isn't everybody doing this? Absolutely. I have not heard that. I've heard that more than once. Yeah. And you know what's interesting, and if you're, you know, if you, if you, and I know you've got a strong interest in addiction. There's a great book by a guy called Gabor Matei called mm-hmm. um, "The Realms of the Hungry Ghosts." Okay, and he talks about maladaptive brain development in the addict and how addiction is a pretty much a spectrum condition, right? Whereby depending on how your brain develops, you know, at a low level of you know maladaptive development, you might have some small obsessive compulsive de- behaviors, sure. smaller small compulsive behaviors around, you know, when you use your phone, social media, maybe shopping, maybe sex, and then yep. if you've had severe level of maladaptive development you've got you know severe levels of drug abuse self-harm gotcha. prostitution etc etc and how our brain developed determines on where we fall in that spectrum sure but it's interesting one of the things that he talks about that actually affects maladaptive brain development is what this little concept called attunement mm-hmm. which is the presence the, the presence of a of a maternal figure in our life not the the, the presence of them physically the presence of them get it connectedly mm-hmm. and as a result when the brain maladapts we have different biochemical profiles neurological neurochemical profiles and we don't produce uh, normal levels of dopamine right first time we take alcohol first time we take drugs there's this flood of serotonin flood of dopamine and it's the first time in many addicts lives where they go oh my god this I is the answer this is it yeah yeah, yeah well yeah that's hits the nail on the head and so that was at about the age of 13 mm-hmm. and then you started experimenting with speed as well yep and how at the same age, around 13, 13, 14? Probably about 14 and then 15 is where I started to introduce more hard drugs and, you know, a little bit more regularly. And how did it, how did you make the jump from like, because cannabis and speed, or well, I suppose, you know, cannabis is, is, is a, you know, it's opiate-like in, 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 mm. in many respects. Sure. Speed is very much on the stimulants, you know, spectrum. How did you make that jump from cannabis to speed to then go, I'm going to hit the H-bomb. I'm going to actually go all the way here. I'm not going to do this fucking low-level street crap. I'm going to... People in the, I, I guess, the peers that I was hanging around with and friends that I was hanging around with and then the kids in the neighborhood and the older guys that I looked up to were doing that kind of thing. They were selling a lot of heroin. Uh, where did, so where, where is this? Where did you grow West up? West End in Brisbane. No kidding. No That's kidding. right. I remember our conversation there. Yeah. Because yeah. I lived in Brisbane for a time. Yep. Yeah. And so what year was this? If you don't mind me asking. Uh, this would be late 90s. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, wow. Yeah. And so then at the age of 15, did you know immediately that you were addicted to heroin or did it take a little bit no, of time to get us in? No, I was in complete denial, right? So the people that I hung around, like I said, they were selling it. And so they'd sit there and make up all their deals and be talking about these junkies and how, you know, they use more than three or four days in a row and then they get physically addicted. Of course, these dealers were addicted themselves, but were in, in complete denial. Right. Uh, but their life looked cool from the outside to a 15-year-old kid. Um, and I I remember just in my head being like, well, if you don't use it three days in a row, you're not going to get hooked. Like, you know, you won't get sick. So just go one, maybe two days and it'll be all good. Right. You know, and, and kind of, I knew it was bad because I'd seen it. You know, I'd been, I'd seen junkies coming and going and you know the prostitutes you mentioned and all that because west stuff. end like around that time that there was normally an ambulance screaming down west end every night yeah it's, or two. it's a really nice suburb now but when yeah, i was now, growing up but it, back then in yeah. the late 90s early yeah. early, early noughties it was uh yeah it was it was central correct yeah and so what what happened from there how did you did you obviously progress from just using one or two times a week make sure no more than three days a row before oh yes and no yeah so while i was still at school and i had that kind of structure yeah um that helped, I guess. Like okay. I, I remember, 
I, I remember early days being different to my mates in a, in a sense, or some of my mates, like my close mates. Like I remember I would be, we'd after school, we'd go back to the phone box when we used to have phone boxes and wait for the dealer at the phone box, right? And we'd be sitting there waiting and he'd be 45 minutes because dealer's never on time, obviously. Yep. Always late. Always, just five Sometimes minutes, Sometimes days. Just five minutes, <laughs> yeah, just five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I memories. And... Um, We'd be waiting there for 45 minutes. They'd be like, all right, I'm going home. Like, and I'd be like, what do you mean you're going home? I'm not going anywhere. Yeah, I'm right. not leaving this footpath until he's here. Yeah, right. Um, what- so you were a really dedicated community addict. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> Me yeah. too. I mean, and you know, it's funny now because I, I still remember that it being a distinction going around because I was 19 when I became addicted to amphetamines. Right. And I remember going around, this happened dozens of times. I'd go around to my mate's place. And I'm like, right, who's got some gear? Yeah. And they're like, oh, mate, everyone's dry. And I'm like, Everyone, you've rung everyone. You've rung and you've been to. Every- yeah. Oh yeah, mate. No, you ain't tried everyone. And I'd bang the phones and I'd get in the car and I'd go and yeah. give it three or four hours. I'd be rolling back in and I'd always find. And the boys would be like, "How did you do that?" And I was just like, "Boys, when you want something bad enough, you don't quit." <laughs> yeah. But what's interesting is that resourcefulness. Did you mm. wh- have you been able to utilize that resource? Because you know a lot of people when they get in a business, it's like, oh, I haven't made any sales. Oh, I've tried to ring everyone. So like, you ain't fucking tried to ring everyone. Absolutely. Have you learned how to apply that resourcefulness Absolutely. in other areas? Yeah, it's it, it's kind of like I call it my obsession. I can turn it on, mm. you know, and I can just turn it on to for 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 good these days. Yeah, you know, and to benefit to add benefit. The to gift my life. of addiction. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, it's really cool. And so you, you started using, uh, once you kind of got out of school, that's when it, things went a bit That's when it start, started to get a lot worse. Right. You know, so I first, about 15 was when I first did IV, you know, yep. drug use. And then straight after school was like where there was no real structure anymore. So it was like, okay, let's just, I'm just going to be a really good addict. I'm just going to get high yeah, all day. I'm just gonna, yeah, yep. I'm going to devote myself to this. Like my friends went off to... Some went to apprenticeships, others uni, stuff like that. And I was like, well, I'm just going to do this. Like, and I'm going to do it go. well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> okay. take some pride in it kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. And then it was like a, because it, it, by this stage, you're 50. How, how old when you left school? 17. I finished. 17. I don't know how, but, but I finished. It, it was still another five, 24, what's that, three and four? That's still another seven years before you got yourself clean. Yep. So was that a seven years of just hardcore heroin and drug use? Yes. And I'm, I'm not talking the. Are we talking the right the rave party scene that was going on at that time? Or, not or are we really. Talking the, like a okay. the dungeon dark. Yeah, not it was not the glamorous type. Yeah, you know, like it more. Uh, also, like it's so it can go up and down in over a 24 hour period. It can go from like being in the casino for three days straight to then being in a boarding house. Yeah. To then waking up in Inala to then you know yeah right you know, Inala like, yeah right like. And, and then I've got money again. Oh, let's go to the coast for the weekend. And, you know, it's like highs and lows. Yeah. Easy come, easy go lifestyle. Yeah, very much yeah. so. I can, I, can, I can understand that. So what was the lowest point during this period? Were there any points where you're like, fuck this, I need a way out? Or were you just too, too swept up in the lifestyle? I mean, mate, there's lots of lows. Um, but were there any, any concrete lows where you hit with a thud and you were like... Because, you know, I find with people, they normally have a few bottom... They bottom out a few times before they hit rock bottom. But sometimes, you know, as a drug user, you know, a lot of people don't realize it's a terminal illness oftentimes, especially yeah, when you're absolutely. playing with heroin. Absolutely. You know, so sometimes when you bottom out, you know, you, you, sometimes your rock bottom can be the very end. Correct. So I'm curious, were there any like little little kind of warning signs along the way? Because I know you you overdosed a number of times. How mm-hmm. many times did you overdose? Multiple times? Uh, mate, I... Uh, <laughs> Probably less than 10, but right. more than five. More than five. And so we're talking Narcan brought back? Yep. Ambulance called, gone purple kind of thing. Go yeah, to stop breathing. Yep. Okay. And were there any that were like touch and go? 
Well, the, probably all of them. All of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all were of there them. any of the times you nearly died where it was touch and go? Why don't we just think about that question, Kerwin? So, yeah, those the, the, the overdoses aren't really that bad because, again, you're in denial. You wake up and you, you're probably pissed off at the ambos for ruining your high. It's funny you know? when you watch those programs like Cops or something when there's a, an, an addict who's out. They hit them with the Narcan. They wake up like, I'm out, man. Now i got to get you on get a fucking hook up again. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, right. And so I remember that pretty clearly but the overdoses wow, aren't that's so interesting uh, so you're not there's no gratitude for your life being saved at that moment you just no way you lost you're your angry you're, well I was at least yeah yeah. well I've seen that on the on the TV show so yeah. it makes a lot of sense yeah um, other lows like I remember one time I got a um, uh, naltrexone implant sewn into my stomach yeah, so right. it's like a slow release naloxone which is what they have in Narcane yep. um, and it blocks the effects of the opiates right so mum and dad tried to help me and help me get this uh, implant sewn in and so I'd had the implant I'd done this horrid detox took about I don't know seven or eight days just disgusting detox because I obviously didn't stop using I just went straight into it um, and then I was like okay I got to use like I got to score I called my deal around he's this like middle-aged Vietnamese guy couldn't speak English and I'm sitting under my parents house and I'm trying to just use small amounts of heroin to to get stoned, but not overdose. Right. Right. Because my tolerance is completely gone. Narcan's killed the tolerance. Correct. And so I'm just having a little shot after little shot after little shot and I can taste it in the back of my throat, but I'm not having any effect whatsoever. Yeah. Right. So for a heroin addict, it's like the absolute worst, like kind of situation you can be in. I've got gear, I'm using it, but I'm not getting stoned. There's no effect. Um, and so I remember sitting there just kind of breaking down and like begging this guy going what am I going to do like how am I going to live my life like if I can't use what do normal people do like how what, what, what do you do and this is the guy selling it to me he can't even speak English I'm asking yeah, right. him for freaking life advice and, <laughs> you'd be my life coach <laughs> yeah and and just being like oh you've really fucked it yourself now like you can't even use the one thing that you want yeah right. you know so that was a bit of I suppose because I was half straight yeah. you know there was a bit of awareness there yeah right another time that was uh pretty pretty for me pretty low was um when i was 19 i went to prison and i landed in prison in the maximum security prison and i'm sitting there and i'm in got, brisbane yeah and um so I'm, I'm sitting there in my cell and i've realized shit it's actually the gear you know, like it's not me. It's not. It's not me. It's not the. M- yeah. It's not the person that told on me. It's not no. the cops' fault. It's not anyone else's fault. It's like it's you, man. You know, and it's the drugs. Yeah, and you're a junkie. Yeah, and wow. and I remember sitting there and swearing and meaning it. You know, like movie, like you know, moonlight through the cell window, tears. It's like so, just meaning it to the best of my ability that I'm never, ever, ever going to use again. Right. You know, and just like would have passed a lie detector test with all sincerity. Yeah, right. And like two days later, a mate turned up at my cell door, said there's gear in the unit. Do you want some? I said, yep, straight away. Turned up with a syringe that had been through about 50 blokes. I don't know how many times. Yeah, right. You know, and use it. Then Then again, that night just kind of going, fucking look at you. You know, you've just probably given yourself diseases. Yeah. You know, you you weren't hanging out. You weren't withdrawing. You're past that stage. You are in fucking hopeless. Yeah. You know, like you are completely fucking hopeless. So there's a lot of guilt, a lot of shame. Lots of shame. 
massive shame. And at what point did you start moving out of the guilt and shame and start discovering that there was a bit of will inside you to actually get clean and stay clean? How long were you in jail for? So I only I was on remand and then I got bailed before my hearing yep. and then I ended up beating the charges. So I was only in there for five months. Okay. Thank God. But that was yeah. a sobering five months, I'm going to assume. Or sobering in the sense, it sounds like you were using yeah. throughout that, uh, the, your, your, your yeah. incarceration. But was it sobering in the perspective of if I don't get my life together, this could end up being my fucking life. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And seeing the effect of people that were five, ten years down the track that were in there, you know. So you were you were getting the opportunity, you were seeing your life. Well, I was flat. young, I was yeah. 19. And a lot but were of, you consciously looking at some of these older junkies and these older men? And I mean, no, no disrespect by that. I'm trying to correct No, totally, here. totally. But did you ever look at some of these older guys and go, fuck, if I don't get my shit together, that's going to be me. That toothless guy in the corner who's half balding, you know, who's got an eye patch. Yes and no. Like part of me probably still had that arrogance and denial to go. I'm yeah, not going to be this guy. I'm bulletproof. Like you guys. Exactly. Yeah, I'm better than exactly. this. Exactly. I got this. Like, did you? At what point did you? Were you able to tell the difference between your voice and the addict's voice? The first time I remember was probably the day that I decided to get clean. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And was that 24? Yeah. And what led to that moment? What led to that gestalt of a, right, now's the time. I've been an addict now for almost 10 years. I'd been trying. I'd done multiple of the naltrexone implants. Um, I'd been on methadone, suboxone, subutex, like all the government programs, done the psychotherapy, psychiatry, all the stuff. Yeah. You know, um, and at this point I was in a detox, just like a medicated detox facility. Had you ever traveled to the US to do something like Ibogaine or a psychedelic no. therapy? No, no, okay. no, no. Keep no. going. Um, and, uh, and so I was in this detox and they kicked me out. I was medicated detox and they kicked me out because I don't even really remember why my behavior, I believe. Um, and I remember leaving and the nurse giving me this handful of pills. So there was like clonidine and Valiums and blah, blah, blah. And, and I put them in the, like put, took the plastic packet off my Winnie Reds, you know, and, right. and stuck it in the plastic packet. And she's like, you need to take these or you're going to have seizures coming off all the pills that you were taking in addition to the methadone and the heroin. And I was still on methadone at that stage, but they're like, you're going to have seizures, which might kill you if you don't take these pills. And I remember standing in the car park. Um, to leave the, the detox and or rehab treatment center, whatever, and looking at the pills in my hand and something inside me just said, if you take these, it's going to be the end. You know, like, I don't know how, it might not be today, it might not be this moment, but if you take these, like, we're going straight back there and like straight back to using, to the life, right. and the end is near. Like, I could feel it. You feel it. I could feel it, you know, um, and something inside of me like you talk about that voice something inside of you said just don't do it just don't do it and you know i didn't know it was recovery at that time but yeah. like you just got to do the opposite you just got to do the opposite of what this head tells you right yeah, now right. you know um had you lost any friends to overdoses at yeah, this point? yeah i remember I had a, a mate overdosed while in rehab and and so this is just gives some you know perspective on the the disease i guess or addiction um and open casket funeral in west end on the river and uh he's he's lying there and i uh, i look in and i swear to him that i'm never going to use again sign the coffin you know swear again black and blue lie detector test how many hours two yeah right you know straight on yeah like left the funeral straight on 
And, and that's where like when things like that start to happen, you just, you ha- you're starting to get evidence that I can't do this. I'm and, never going to get clean. And you must've seen the impact it's having on your family around you. You're seeing the pain, you're seeing the suffering. You are, but you're in denial. Yeah. You know, like, do, do you ever have that? Have you ever had that kind of conversation with some, another addict or, or, or reflected on yourself? Cause you know, I was talking to this girl at a party on Saturday night mm-hmm. um, who used to suffer from an eating disorder, but she now has this massive charge towards addicts. And yeah. it was kind of, an, it was an interesting contrast because she didn't yeah. see the connection at all. And she, and she was just going, well, you know, if someone's addicted, all they've got to do is they've just got to stop using. It's like, uh, <laughs> you know, it's like, fuck, I you love that one. Yeah, it's, yeah. Fuck, why didn't we think of that? Yeah. <laughs> um, and how do you explain to someone as an addict? Because when you're an addict, there mm. is there is no rationale. Mm. There is no logic. You can see, like you said, you just went to an open casket funeral of your mate who fucking died, who overdosed on the very drug that you're addicted to, Correct. signed his cop and made a commitment to yourself mm-hmm. to our later you're banging the hammer up your arm again yeah when someone says that makes no fucking sense how do you explain that to somebody oh uh, mate honestly it's i believe it's not you can't really get it like truly get it until you've you've, you've yeah. been there you know um but it's just like this obsession that when i make the decision to use it just cannot be stopped yeah you know like it's like something goes in my head yes we're going to do this thing whatever the thing is and no matter what that's just going to happen i don't care what it takes yeah you know um and it just does it's just like this mental obsession and there's no other option yeah i guess you know it's interesting when you look at the chemistry of addiction the most addicting part of addiction is the pre-use right it's the dopamine it's a dopamine surge when the addict is on the hunt when they're about to use which is actually the most addictive component which is where it actually began to get for me towards the end yeah right where that was better than the actual use yeah because then you'd use and be like and you're disappointed because you're never quite there where you want to be right and so like you either don't have enough or you took too much and fell asleep and wasted it yeah so it's like okay so you're, you're 24 years of age you've yep. just been kicked out of rehab you've got a handful of pills you're told you need to take or you're gonna die mm-hmm. you start questioning everything what happens next did you go back and knock on the rehab door and say fuck I'm sorry take me back I don't want to die <laughs> no no I didn't I, I started to well obviously I'd seen my old man in recovery yeah okay um, and so I knew there was another option you know I knew there are other ways okay um, so your dad was an active uh, he was active, active in 12 step fellowship yeah right yep. are we talking what once a week once a, every day kind of meeting guy or a uh, couple times a week yeah right yeah okay a couple times a week and so you had been brought up with seeing him seeing in recovery? that yep and did you, at what point in your life did you look at what he was doing and go, so what, Dad, why do you do that? Did you ever have that kind of... Yeah, definitely. Right. And did he explain it to you? Like a, like I remember a, the first time asking, Dad, why don't you drink? And he said, mate, if I drink, we won't have this house anymore and we won't have a family. Right. And I remember kind didn't of... Make it didn't make sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Didn't make sense. Okay. Yeah. And um, as you're going through all of this, what was your relationship like with your dad? Did you... Strained, difficult, um, because he he understood it. Like now, I've got some perspective, and I can see how powerless he must have been, and how difficult it must have been Man. for him. You know, um, uh, but it was strained. But he was always one hundred percent there for me. Yeah, you know, right. like not, yeah. Like, did he ever blame him? Did you ever get the feeling like he blamed himself a little bit? 
No, I can't say I did. That's cool. Yeah, I can't say good I did. To you, good for your dad. Yeah. Like, good for your dad. Yeah. You know, because, uh, you know, you're a new dad, right? I am. Five days ago, Five you just had old. a baby boy. I did. What's his name? Axwell. Axwell. What a cracking name. Yeah. You know, because you obviously, I don't know if you've actually had this and, and if I'm the first person to take you through this, um, you know, I hope this isn't traumatic for you. But have you ever sat there and thought about with Axwell, you know, the fast forward of to- course. Wow, in yeah, five days, course. you've already done that. Oh, before he was here. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> Come on, dude. Yeah. Of and course. And so when you think about that, like, 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 how do you think you're going to do life different as a parent when you knowing what you know or just mm. being what you've been through mm. when you consider that these developmental years, and this is what's really interesting about addiction. They're actually, you know, because they've called addiction in some cases a genetic or an environmental disease. Sure. And what we're now discovering is that the genetics play a very, 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 very small factor. And which is great, right? Which is enormously <laughs> beneficial. Me. Enormously beneficial for the next generation. Mm. They're saying environments, it's the brain development. Like this is where all the all the research points. Right. Are. It's the brain development and how that brain develops. And does that child feel safe? Are they demonstrated how to regulate pain, stress, and emotion in healthy ways? Do they have a you know, a stable figure? Do they have that connection to something that yep. makes them feel safe when their world is chaotic? Like as an addict yourself, like do you now think I'm actually going to be are you scared of being a parent or you think you're going to be a better parent as a result of what you've been through? I'd like to think I'm going to be a better parent for sure. Yeah, right. Yeah, absolutely. And how do you think you're going to do that? Like, what's, what do you think you're going to do differently to other parents? So, for me, it's a, I've just had this kind of switch recently where I've uh, I've tried to get away from this idea of being a good parent. Yeah, right. Right? Yeah. And instead of being a good parent, why don't I just focus on being a really good me, like a really good person? Oh, because I love that, mate. Well done. He's going to be he's going to be who he's going to see who I am rather than what I preach or speak or try and pretend or, yep. you know, put, I'm not, I don't want to put a mask on to be my parent, be the parent, yep. you know? So that's kind of, that's authentic, mate. That's, that's the plan. Okay, that's cool. <laughs> and it's kind of cool. Cause I get to continue working on myself, not put that aside and work yep. on being a parent. It's like, if I just make me the best I can be, that's probably going to be the best for him. Are you excited about being a parent? Yeah, yeah. All he says is he's uh, shitting his pants. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yes, I'm very excited, but I'm also, yeah, shitting my pants yeah, a bit. I yeah. get it. I totally get it. What are you scared most about as being a parent? Good question. Uh, probably being able to uh, show emotional intimacy that I haven't been wow. able to before. That's deep, bro. Yeah. That's deep. That's powerful. Yeah. Okay, that's really exciting. I'm I'm conscious of the fact I've left a gaping hole in the narrative. Cool. Here. Let's go back. You 24 pills in the hand. Yep. You're gonna make the decision. What was the What was the fucking What happened? Went back to Brisbane, uh, and started hanging around people that I knew were well. So did uh, you do geographical? Like, did you pick yourself up and move yourself no, to somewhere? You didn't. No, wow, you stayed no in the same area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Stayed in the same area. Well, I, well, at this stage, I was still on methadone. I was still on 120 milligrams of methadone. Right. And and so I started attending recovery meetings and yeah. going there and um, reducing. Like, I had to gradually come off. So it took me about six months. And I was and just. Methadone's harder to get off than heroin. Yeah. That's a horrible drug. Yeah. Yeah. And so you started like tapering on your own, on your own. No, steam? with a, with my doctor. Okay. Yeah. Whilst doing um, NA meetings. Yeah, while doing NA, NAAA. Yeah. And so, w- what do you think was the 
the thing that because you tried so many things what was you th- what do you think was the thing or the variables or the the couple of things that actually made the difference this time around uh like they say in, in recovery you know groups i guess that they only had to change one thing and that's everything <laughs> you know so <laughs> yeah um so that was like you know old people old places old playmates old play things yeah. everything all your triggers has to change yeah um and so it was like again it, i guess it was kind of like that the opposite of what my head wanted to do yeah i had to do the next thing you know um and that was where exercise became really kind of a bit of an obsession right you know it is kind of because by this stage you're morbidly obese i was big boy yeah, yeah. like full man boobs and yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And you've now at this point gone and got yourself a, a job in the gym as the janitor? Well, I was, it's funny, my, my cousin owned a, a chain of gyms and- Which one, ones? Pure Health Clubs. Okay. Yeah. Um, and her and her partner owned them at the time and um, mum was just trying to, I think, trying to get me to do something positive and said, oh, they need help ripping up the carpets. And I could think of nothing worse, <laughs> being a fat- addict you know okay. <laughs> just smoking cigarettes all day and i went along and did that and then i don't know i got spoken to a partner got speaking to a partner and i think he said you know do you want to come and do some stuff here like you can vacuum the studios or come and see the the manager and worked with her and she got me vacuuming the studios and going and emptying the lead boxes at subway or whatever just basically filling in time i swear they were doing a favor to mum. yep at the time you know uh and yeah, that's where that kind of started. So I started putting a lot of energy there, um, spending a lot of time there, just turned that obsession I was talking about earlier into that, you know, up all night, just reading books, learning about nutrition. But was there, there had to have been a switch from, you know, emptying fucking lead boxes and pulling up carpet and vacuuming the gym yep. to all of a sudden going, okay, I'm now interested in nutrition. I'm now interested in exercise. It was something I'd always wanted. Right. You know, it was something I'd always wanted growing up, like, because I was the addict and overweight and you know seeing my friends pick up women or seeing my friends be able to take their shirt off at the pool or whatever and me not have the confidence to do that wow was and just feeling so self-conscious and still so less than yeah right. and really wanting it and yearning for it and you know feeling like i can't do it you yeah. know i'd have these small like i remember in addiction i'd have these small kind of bursts of inspiration where I'd go buy a weight set and a men's health mag, you know, yeah. and like the best pre-workout I could find. And a, and a, and a fucking protein bar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and, and take the pre-workout and do like three sets and then like fall in a heap, literally sick for three days because I had, my body hadn't done anything in, you know, like <laughs> yeah. just not conditioned at all. Um, so it was a pretty radical transformation at this point. Like you've got the job in the gym, you start, you know, working around the gym and then mm. instinctively, addictively, obsessively you just start picking it up started training yeah, yeah twice a day couldn't sleep because on methadone you can't sleep and so of an evening i'd go for runs or walks um and yeah weight started coming off i started feeling better people started noticing positive feedback loop you know this is kind of cool yeah um you kept the meetings up as well yep still to this day a lot less but yep. yeah i'm still connected yeah nice yep. the community's everything yep correct and so how old are you now 34. 34. So it's, wow, well, yeah, 10 years in January. That's right. Yeah. Okay. And so at what point did you, because you, you, you then went on to compete. I competed um, in 2015, yeah. Yep. One Mr. Queensland heavyweight, natural. Mm-hmm. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. That not, that's not an easy task to do. Thank you. Um, and I'm going to assume by this point, you, you've been training for, it's got to be what, uh, six years? Yeah, six years. Yeah. And 
obsessively obsessively <laughs> like, yeah. yeah but this is the thing you know and again a lot of people go you know because we do some videos on um, social media on addiction and you know there's still some addicts out there that see it it's just all bad yeah and I, I can't I can't emphasize enough the, the the power of addiction the resourcefulness in addiction but also the gift of addiction it's just not it's not just in our obsessive and compulsive nature when directed in the right way that can produce incredible things it's also the, the fact that we're wounded and when we're wounded and we remove the substance that numbs us from the pain of our wounds mm. those issues come to the surface Absolutely. and is that something that happened for you definitely what did you find came to the surface that you really had to work on that was sitting there the whole time that the drug addiction was masking so the probably the biggest one i mean the, the work we do today and the work i believe in today is is we kind of believe that there are three core fears that drive our behavior right right the biggest one for me was that i have this fear of worthlessness so that'd be my primary yeah you know so as i am not good enough like i said before flawed and effective i'm somehow not enough so i have this head that constantly tells me i need to be more do more have more achieve more in order to one day be happy which never comes yeah right um so that was like my core yep. kind of stuff um, then there's also that fear of powerlessness. I just hate feeling out of control. You know, I hate it when things don't go my way. I hate it when basically anything's outside of my control. Is that a conflict with step one? Like admitting uh, powerlessness? I can admit powerlessness and yeah. surrender to that, but I hate it. I don't yeah, like yeah, feeling okay. powerless. Okay, and enough. in my life and in my recovery, like day-to-day life, like I, it's, yeah, it's something I try to avoid at all costs. I've set up my entire <laughs> life. So I don't, not consciously, but now with some awareness, yeah, you know, yeah. I now notice like, oh, you work for yourself, you do everything on your own, you, you know, not on my own, but I, uh, I, I'm basically in control of everything in my life. Yeah. At all times. How important are routines for you? Massive. Okay. Massive. Because this is one of the things I learned through addiction was the power of routines yep. and the importance of having routines because as an addict, you often, you often forget how to live a life. Yeah. You forget how to be a normal person. You don't even know what it is. Yeah. Like I didn't, I didn't know what type of foods I liked. Yeah. I didn't know how to dress. I remember asking someone how, how to teach me how you dress, mate. Someone that I looked up to. And a lot of people don't understand that it's actually not just an, a, a healthy concept for addicts. It's a healthy human concept. Yeah, right. The, the more routines, the more structure, the more discipline we have, the easier it is for act- us to actually be healthy mm, right. by, by virtue of automatic behavior. Yeah. Because the, the challenge for an addict is when we're bored, when we don't know what to do, our first thing is let's get high. Sure. You know? And so for me, I, I found, as you've just explained as well, um, routines have been very important. What have been some of the, the best routines that you've worked on for yourself and for your clients that have helped you become a healthier human being? Uh, so for me, definitely daily routine around uh, like a morning practice. Yep. Like, I'm off all the really fluffy two hour long morning practices that are kind of popular at the moment, but some sort of mindfulness slash meditation, some sort of gratitude practice and some sort of planning for your day, like some sort of actual awareness as to what, what I actually want to achieve today and then executing that stuff. Mm. Um, Exercise has been invaluable for me. Like before getting clean, I was really angry. Like I was a very angry person and it was almost like magic when I started exercising and having that outlet. I believe exercise played a big role. Not mm. shooting up heroin and ice every day helped. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, but it was a panacea. Yeah, absolutely. It only helped the symptoms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And so exercise enabled you to get exercise the, 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 that anger to the surface. Yeah. Did help- you know what you were angry at? Oh, honestly, I was just really angry at myself yeah. and I felt so less than because of the yeah, stories that the I had stories. in my head. Yeah. You know, um, and so I was angry at everyone outwardly as a result of that, you know, and because the stories I had in my life, like, and and in that scene, in that subculture, like, 
you're angry at lots of people for lots of reasons. There's always a reason to be angry. Correct. Yeah. So you then found... It's a good front. Yeah, it's a great front. And there's always a good reason to use, Mm. you know, when you're angry. Mm. So in 2009, you founded um, Awakened Lifestyles. Is that right? Uh, We founded a different company. We've rebranded to Awakened Lifestyles in the last 12 months. So tell us what it is that you do now. So we help awaken people to a life of uh, purpose and deep fulfillment. So we do what we call inner work. Right. So we work from the inside out, transformation from the inside out, teaching people how to live in line with their values, uh, teaching people how to actually like themselves, yeah, you know, right. if not love themselves. And when you work with someone in the beginning on, on, a, on a process, because I love the fact it's inner work, and because yeah. whenever I'm talking to people and they say, oh, I've got to go and do that, I say, mate, mate, it all starts in here. Correct. You know, I yes. can give you every strategy. Yes. You, you've been in this. I say, I can give you every fucking strategy yeah. in the book. But if we don't fix what's inside, you're going to find a way to fuck it up every yep. way to Friday. Exactly. So when you're working with people to help them, you know, do the inner work and do the work from the inside out so they can become, you know, more whole, happy human beings, like, where's a good place to start? Uh, for me, the biggest part is and one of the biggest realizations I had would be recognizing that I'm not my mind mm. you know so that's that's huge until I can really grasp that concept I'm kind of fighting an uphill battle yeah right um, so I'm not this mind that continually shames blames judges criticizes or compares me to other people you know it's not who I am because I had this head that constantly said you're fat and I go yeah, yeah you're fat you're worthless yeah, yeah you're worthless you should go punch that guy over there yeah yeah great idea let's go do that you know yeah um, and just constantly listen to this head, which was trying to either move toward a pleasant feeling or away from an unpleasant feeling. And that was it with no actual concept of, of anything deeper or meaningful. Like, so when I realized I'm not my mind, I'm not my head, that was huge. You know, like that Eckhart Tolle, whoa, there's, there's more to this. Yeah, right. Um, and then second, second step would then be recognizing I'm not my body either. You know, I have a body, but I'm not my body. I'm blessed to be at the top of the food chain and have this, you know, bag of meat, which can have emotions and, you know, uh, be an amazing vessel to experience life through. However, it's not who I am, Mm. you know? So what I'm interested in and what we try to teach is who am I? How do I experience myself beyond body and mind? Yeah, right. You know, what is that? And I believe when we get in in touch with that place, uh, real magic happens, you know, purpose just arises. You know, and people begin living in line with that purpose and they actually get what they wanted, like, which is to be happy and content. Is there a step three? So you are not your mind, you are not your body. So, uh, and then it's I am the awareness that notices that I have both. Yeah, right. You know, so. The higher self. Well, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, I don't, it's difficult to label words, right? I don't want to have a name for it. You call it whatever you like. Yeah. You know, Um, but. I call him Johnny. Johnny, teacup. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Whatever you want. Yeah, I get it. Whatever, right? The cup of the the ocean. Yeah, Yeah. right. Whatever. Don't care. Um, But I am the awareness that notices that I I have both. Yeah. So then we kind of teach, okay, so if I have this head that's constantly just trying to move toward feelings, essentially, um, it's time to parent him or her. Mm. Like a little five-year-old kid that's drawing on the walls so, of my life. So you teach, teach people how to self-parent. Correct. Yeah. yeah. We call it parenting the mind. Wow. I love that. Yeah. And yeah, so right. I begin parenting this five-year-old kid. And it's not okay for you to, to compare me to other people. You know, it's not okay for you to constantly criticize me about my body oh. size or shape or how I'm working or relationship or what my boyfriend is or isn't doing when I'm at work. Like whatever, you know? Yeah, right. Um, just parenting that mind with respectful structure. Yeah. And I believe, you know, that's pretty common and that's where most, well, not most, but a lot of, I guess, PD kind of stuff ends. Yeah. Um, the next step for us would be actually connecting with this body. Yeah. You know, who's another little kid in here 
And for the last couple of decades, if it was anything like me, he was abused pretty badly and he yeah. was pushed, avoided. Any time I had a feeling, it was like shove down deep, get down, get down or avoid it or suppress it or deny it or let's try and outrun it, yeah, you know? Right. And so it's about making peace and making friends with this body, you know, where I have to, the only place where I'm going to have my feelings, right? The only place where I'm actually going to have what I want, which is, you know, to be happy and content. And I say that again and again, because out of the hundreds and thousands, well, if not thousands of clients that I've sit down and speak to, um, everyone's got these different goals, yep. you know, like your business owners would have different goals. And when I get to why and what's that going to do for you and how's that going to make you feel and what are you going to experience more of and blah, 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 blah. And we get down to it. Every single client says about the same thing, which is I just want to be, be happy, happy and content, yeah. you know? And so I go, well, me, who's a shortcut kind of guy, like if there's a shortcut, I'll take it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, I go, where am I going to feel happy? Well, in my body, that's the only place. My mind, you know, my mind's never had a feeling in its life. You know, so shush, stay out of it, mate. Yeah. You're just getting in the way, really. And so if I can connect with this body and say, you know, uh, I guess foster the conditions for happiness and contentment, life's pretty good. Did you find in the early stages of your, your training as you were still coming out of your addiction and you were still transitioning into a healthier life yep. that there was the possibility that you traded um, one form of self-abuse for another? 100%. So, absolutely right so absolutely so i remember the bodybuilding was yep. probably an example of that yep um i remember winning the comp yeah and being on stage and holding the trophy hand up in the air and being kind of elated like it's serious discipline yep and being like yeah you did it you're the man kind of thing and then you get um, off stage well i didn't even get that far it was wow about, it was about two seconds later and i just went yeah but this isn't right for me and then there was a guy that won one of the other divisions and um, he said to me, oh, he was so, like he was bouncing off the walls and he's like, oh man, we've got, we're going to go to nationals and I'm going to go, comp and my, my plan was to do that, you know, go to nationals and go to the next yep. comp the next week and blah, blah, blah. And he goes, oh, I can't wait to just diet harder this week and get my glutes in a bit tighter. And something inside of me just went, no, like, no. No, that's not that's not what this is about for me. That's self harm. Yeah, right. You know, um, and I actually at about four or five weeks out from the show, I knew like I actually had a like parenting my body and supporting my body. I actually had a conversation where yeah, I was like, right. "Mate, we know this isn't good for you. Yeah, like we know this isn't optimal health. And actually, being healthy and happy and vibrant is more important to me than how many striations I have on my friggin' abs. You know, on my quads, like." Yep. Um, and at that point, I remember making a conscious decision to just go, we're just going to go get through to the show and then we're going to decide. And the decision was made for me as soon as I won the trophy, you know, like. And so you went from punishing the body you hate to now creating the body you love. Correct. And supporting it with yep. kindness and. Parenting. Yeah. Parenting. parenting. Yeah. And in the process, you got 10 years of parenting under your belt before. Oh, 10 years? How old are you now? 34. So you had a good. Uh, how old were we? 2015. So you had a good five years or so of good parenting yeah. yourself before you had. You got a bit uh, of a warm up. <laughs> yeah, well, you need it. Trust yeah. me, pal. Yeah. He's going to keep you busy. So um, where to from here? You've got Awaken Lifestyles. Yeah. Who, who are the type of people that you typically work with? Typically work with uh, high functioning humans who are wanting more. Yeah. You know, okay. a lot of them have ticked all the boxes. We've got a lot of professionals. I mean, we work with, you know, all types of people, but we kind of get the people who have tried lots of stuff. Yeah. Um, still searching. Still searching. You know, they've got the, the degree or the profession and the car and the house and they still feel a bit empty. Yeah. You right. know, um, and they're looking for something that they can't get on the outsides. 
How much how, how much of a role does medita- meditation play in your life right now? Huge. What style do you do? Uh, What's it's, your jam? It's probably the one I've dedicated most time to would be uh, this Theravadan noting practice. Okay. Where I learned from a guy called Kenneth Folk. He's in the States who spent probably 30 years, year, 30 years of his life on retreat in like Burma and he teaches this Theravadan noting. Um, he's kind of like hacked it a bit. Is it like a mantra-based pitching? No, it's kind of like a, a practice where I'll sit here and just objectively note and observe everything that comes up. Hmm. So I might sit here and, and so, for example, say like seeing, hearing, uh, warmth. It is hot in here. Um, tight, <laughs> tightness in my chest, dryness on my lips, uh, expansiveness, peacefulness. And just I just note yeah, right. what comes up in the moment and takes me to some pretty incredible places. So that as well as, uh, so I, I, best you, I, bet you, I guess you could call that a bit of insight, I guess. Yeah. And then I do a bit of uh, concentration and that varies for, yeah. between, you know, noticing the breath or staring at the teacup or the candle or the yeah, gotcha. whatever it might be. But it's a big part of your life. Massive, yeah, okay. every, every day. And so where to from here? Like where's your main focus now? Is it on Awakened Lifestyles, yeah, on Axwell? Definitely. Both. On both? Yeah, yeah. on both. Yeah, so um, definitely on the business. So definitely, like it's it's my purpose. I can't not do it anymore. Yeah, you know, I'm just drawn to it. I'm just called to it. It's just I just have to. It's what you're here to do. There's not exactly. There's no other option. And so focusing on that. Is there a book in the pipeline? <sighs> there is. Yeah, what's it called? Was it too early to oh, say? Oh, I've, I've good enough project has come up, but I'm not yep. certain on it. Okay. Um, yeah, there's no title yet, but it's okay. it started being written. Okay, well done. Um, so yeah, that's happening. How many how many lines have you got in so far? <laughs> in about twelve months, maybe oh, thirty or forty word doc pages. Yeah, right. He's got thirty or forty pages on me, Timmy. So <laughs> he's doing pretty well. Uh, Fantastic, mate. Look, this has been an incredible conversation. Um, if we could finish on the best piece of advice you've ever received, or the best piece of advice that you ever give, what would it be? Be kind to yourself. Yeah, I like that a lot. Be kind. Yeah. I love and you are not your mind. You are not your mind, <laughs> you're not your body, but you can parent both. Correct. Anthony, that this has been incredible. If people want to find out more about uh, you and what you do, uh, awakenlifestyles.com.au. Correct. Instagram. Uh, at Anthony Inner Work. At Anthony Inner Work. And love then Awaken Lifestyles on Facebook. Absolutely fantastic stuff. Anthony, Anthony Naud. Correct. There we you go. Got yes, you got it, man. N-O-U-D. <laughs> thank you so much for being here on Unstoppable, mate. I really love the journey and thank you for being so honest. Thank you for having me. And namaste. Namaste. <laughs> there you have it, guys. Thanks for tuning in to Unstoppable with me, your host, Kerwin Ray. And do me a favor. Don't forget to drop me a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear what you think. I love reading what you guys have to say and your reviews make sure we keep creating killer content just like this. If you want to stay up to date with me and all my movements, please jump onto the website, kerwinray.com, and also check us out on social media, at Kerwin Ray. 